Welcome to Scavenger's Horde. We're a Star Wars podcast, offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy, be it the latest show on Disney+, or a weird Legends novelisation you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 184, and it's 19th of August, 2022. So, yeah, hi everyone. It's been a while since we last did this, but we're happy to be back. Um, yeah, so do you want to sum up the last few weeks, generally, Kirsty? Explain the hiatus a bit? Uh, I was finally able to travel home and Yay. meet up with you, among other people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was so, so nice because, yeah, the last time Kirsty and I got to see each other in person was at Celebration Chicago in 2019, and we had a great time there, and obviously, you know, we've always been in touch, we message every day, we talk for the podcast often, you know, but it's really different and really special to see each other face-to-face, so, yeah, just had the best time seeing Kirsty. so, yeah, really glad we could make that work. Me too, it was really nice. I wish we'd had more time, but... Yeah, it means there's something to look forward to next time. Yeah, (laughs) and it also gives me an excuse to come to America again. So yeah, we will see each other again before too long. I hope it will not be another three years next time. (laughs) This was a special case. Yeah, it's true. There was a little pandemic that got in the way. Let's put it that way. Yeah, we have obviously been watching and reading a bunch of stuff um, over the summer months as well. So for the first time in a while, because we stopped doing these when we were doing our Kenobi episodes, just, you know, there was a lot to talk about of Kenobi, so we didn't have time to do recommendations. But now it's a little bit more relaxed. We're still in a break between content. So yeah, we thought we'd bring back our recommendations. Um, So yeah, Kirsty, what's the first thing you would like to recommend? Um, Mississippi Masala. Ooh. Nice. So I remember you mentioning this to me a few months back, and I think at the time there were there was only like a crappy quote version available, but then Criterion like have released it, right? Yeah, it was one of those films that I'd been like in the back of my mind, like on my watch list for a long time, and then I didn't know that it was going to be added to the Criterion collection. But I was all of a sudden seeing a lot of buzz about it on film Twitter, and I was like, okay, something must be happening. And then like it started being released in like cinemas in a limited sense over the country but i couldn't make it to one of those and um and then they added it to the collection so they do have it on blu-ray now but they finally added it to the channel and i was so excited to watch it and i was very happy with it i love it it's a great movie fantastic Um, do you want to sum up what it's about sure uh so it's a 1991 um romance um it's directed by miranair and it stars denzel washington and sarita chowdhury um, who, if anyone is a Sex in the City fan and watched that latest series, she was far and away the best part of that show. And um, she, her family are Indian, but um, she was raised in Uganda and they have to leave. They move to Mississippi and she meets Denzel Washington and they have this like forbidden romance story. And it's, it's very lovely. And they're both so gorgeous. It's ridiculous how attractive they both are. That sounds really great. And it makes me want to resubscribe to Criterion. <laughs> it's a really beautiful movie in general, but they are also very beautiful people, obviously. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, because I feel like I've only seen Denzel Washington in like really recent movies, you know, like post 2010. I'm not sure I've seen any of his like 
classic Holden movies. So he's still a really good looking man, don't get me wrong. But I haven't seen him in like leading man, like young good looks sense. So mm. yeah, definitely one need to check that out. Yeah, I remember when The Force Awakens came out and a lot of people were comparing John Boyega to Denzel Washington and people kept saying he was a young Denzel. But like you, I hadn't seen like young Denzel movies. Right. But I think you can see it here. Okay, nice. Very it's charming. Just, yeah, you're giving me lots of reasons to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Um, then maybe this time with these recommendations, it might be nice to mix it up so we can take turns to give our recommendations. Um, so my first recommendation is a film called... Oh God, this is going to go horribly wrong since it's a French name. I'm so sorry if any of our listeners are in France. But the film is Chaco de Nantes. <laughs> so sorry um and it's directed by um agnes Varda, and i feel like agnes Varda is one of those like iconic film directors where people know the visual of her even if they haven't seen any of her films mm. so she only died in the last few years but she's like a classic new wave french director from the 60s this film it's a bit later it's from 1990 i think and it's basically a film she made as her husband, Jack Stemmy, was dying. And it's a story about her husband's childhood growing up in France around the time of World War Two. Um, and he, you know, he had like a normal working class background and very like ordinary parents, you know, like his dad owned a garage and his mum was a hairdresser. And the film is basically about how this boy from this very normal background developed a love of film and how he like managed to fight to become a film director because his dad wanted him to go to technical college and get a trade you know and they all thought this dream of becoming a director was really silly um but he really persisted and ended up becoming a very successful director he did films like um umbrellas of cherbourg and the young ladies of rochefort which are really wonderful technicolor musicals they're just really beautiful gorgeous films i can't recommend them enough and this film is just really, really beautiful and so moving because there's clips of the real man that is based on throughout. And he was clearly dying at the time he was filmed, you know, talking about his life. So that's, that makes it sound really morbid, but is also really like beautiful and life affirming because he's talking about his art, you know, and what inspired him and his memories. And yeah, it feels like a really beautiful tribute from a wife to her husband you know in like a medium that meant so much to both of them so yeah I feel like I can't judge it objectively so I'm such a big fan of Demi's films so I'm predisposed to like this right because I love the man so mm. I'll naturally be interested in his background but I thought it was wonderful so yeah I super recommend that awesome yeah so what would be your next pick Kirsty? Um, well, it's always weird when you recommend things that are like super popular and well-known already, because <laughs> chances are a lot of people have already seen them. Um, and I, I've obviously seen them before too, but uh, I think I've probably, I don't know if I've mentioned them before on the podcast, but they're some of my favorite movies ever. It's uh, The Before Trilogy, directed by Richard Linklater. Although that said, I think my favorite film of his is still School of Rock. So <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> But, Wait, uh, did he I, really do School of Rock? Oh my god, I can't believe this. Hold on. <laughs> I love that movie so much. This has to be like a joke. Oh my god, he did! Wow. Yeah, I'm not joking. Wow, I honestly thought you were kidding. Cinema. That blows my mind. Wow. What a genius. 
Gosh, that takes real inspiration to. So I'm not saying School of Rock is bad. It's I think it's really good for what it is. It's just so incredibly different <laughs> from the Before trilogy. So yeah, he's clearly way more versatile than I thought he was. So bravo, that's great. I'm yeah. sorry, Kirsty. Please. Continue. It's okay. Um, <laughs> so this is the first of my Ethan Hawke picks this week. Um, but I rewatched Before Sunrise the other night and do plan on unfinishing the trilogy over the next couple of weeks, maybe. Um, but if anyone hasn't happened to watch these before and you love love stories, they're basically essential viewing. Like yep. you you will love and fall in love with these movies and, and think about them forever. And um, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy gave great performances. They both had a hand in the writing. It's very dialogue and character driven um very like meandering plot basically they have a meet cue on a train and decide to go for a romantic wander around the city at night and get to know each other and then well you'll see what happens but obviously the movies take a the um they were filmed over the course of decades um so it tracks their relationship um over time and I think it's a really lovely ode to time and, and how that passes in relationships and what evolves and what's important to people at various times. And yeah, you should watch them, basically. Yeah. No, I love those films, too. They're really, really great. Yeah. And I, I'm about to take lots of trains in Europe in the Ooh. next few weeks. So who knows? I might have my own before trilogy. <laughs> I'll be rooting for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to meet an Ethan Hawke lookalike. You never know. Yeah. Anything can happen. Exactly, a girl can dream. Those are really evergreen films. You cannot go wrong with the Before Trilogy. They're fantastic. Um, yeah, so then the next film I would like to recommend, because all of mine are films and very basic, um, is A Man Escaped, which is a film from the 1950s directed by Robert Brusson, um, whose name I did not mangle quite as much as I mangled the name of the, of the previous film. Um, and this is a World War Two movie about a chap who is part of the French resistance and he gets put in a prison by the Nazis, essentially, awaiting execution. And so there's like a ticking clock going on and he has to escape from the prison before they execute him. And it's 95% in the prison cell with this man as he works on how he's going to escape. So, you know, lots of the film is given over to him, like braiding ropes and like filing away at the wood panels on the door to try and make an opening so he can squeeze through, you know, really, really mundane things. But it's honestly one of the most gripping things I've ever seen in any film. It's just really, really absorbing. And the tension, like at the end, is just unbelievable. And it's the kind of film where it does a magic trick because... You know, the ending is in the title. It's called A Man Escaped. <laughs> so you know this man is going to escape, right? But as you watch, you're like, there's no way this man is escaping. There's just no way he is getting out of there. He's lost. He is dead. And yeah, I just love it when a film can do that. You know, it can like make you forget the fact that you know the answer, the fact that you know where this is going to go. And yeah, just brilliant, brilliant stuff. So I really highly recommend that one. I hope mm. people can find it somewhere. I don't know where it is. I think I watched it on Curzon Channel in the UK. Okay, I'll have to have a look. I think the only film of his I've seen is Pickpocket, and that's only because I'm such a Schrader fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to have a look on maybe Criterion. 
but yeah, no Criterion would be a good shout. Um, yeah, it's like Bresson. I've seen several of his films now. They're very austere, and sometimes they can feel a bit dry. You know, there's very little like open emotion going on in them. So often I've felt kind of cold about his other stuff, but this mm. one just really clicked for me. So yeah, I'd say even if you've seen another Bresson film that didn't super work for you, check out this one. Hmm. It does sound really good because, like you say, I love it when you think you know what the stakes are, but somehow it lures you in anyway. Like, yeah. it really grips you and makes you kind of forget what you already know. Yeah, I think you'd like it. So, yeah, if it is on Criterion, I definitely strongly recommend checking it out. Okay. So, well, this is a documentary series, but it's kind of my last of the movie recommendations. Uh, it's The Last Movie Stars, which is directed by Ethan Hawke. Um, and it's about it's a six part series that's just landed on HBO Max and it's about Paul Newman and his wife Joanne Woodward and their kind of you know decades of career and personal life and I'm only two episodes in I didn't realize when I started it how long and detailed it was but I'm gripped um, Brilliant. I've always loved Paul Newman as an actor ever since I saw Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and kind of fell in love with him as I'm sure everyone else <laughs> does um but i'm less familiar with joanne woodward's work um so i'm definitely feeling the need to go and check out some of her stuff i think i'm going to start with the long hot summer because paul's in that too nice um but yeah recommend that to anyone who either loves those actors or is just kind of in the mood for something that kind of delves into you know a bit of older hollywood culture um and Ethan Hawke is directing it but it's also obviously like he was making it during the pandemic so there's lots of Zoom calls with him talking to other actors about Paul and Joanne right yeah um and they have like George Clooney and Laura Linney and a, a whole cast of other people um doing uh, recording like transcripts of interviews that were kind of lost at one point so it kind of brings it to life a lot um and it's really well done so far I've just looked as well, and I realised that I've only seen one Paul Newman film. <laughs> Can you guess what that Paul Newman film is? Um, it's probably the most populist thing he's ever done. Cars? <laughs> <laughs> I did not know he was in Cars! Okay, yes. okay, let me rewind. That was his last role. <laughs> wow, what a way to go out. Okay, it's Towering Inferno. Okay. <laughs> well, you should see Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, because Elizabeth Taylor is amazing in that film. Yeah, no, I I would definitely like to see more of his filmography for sure. Um, I do unabashedly love Tarin Inferno, even though I'm sure it wasn't the most challenging role for him as an actor. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I in all seriousness, I would like to check out that documentary series. I'm interested in any facets of like Hollywood and actors and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Super I mean, it's interesting. just I I know it's like oh, actors' personal lives juicy, but it's also interesting to kind of contextualize actors amongst their peers like I didn't realize that Paul was kind of jealous of Marlon Brando and stuff I just hadn't crossed my mind yeah because he was like the big star at the time you know and that he only got um you know he he was only cast in these big movies one I think James Dean was um cast for something and then he died so Paul was like the person they went to afterwards and that's kind of what really launched his career but they were saying like well, there, there were also kind of interviews with Paul's first wife, and she says, like, it, it was just kind of handed to him. So, I don't know. Obviously, that's one person's opinion, and yeah. she's going to have her own feelings, but it's interesting to think about what, what element luck plays into these kind of careers. 
Yeah, no, I can only imagine. Yeah, like it's amazing, like these stratospheric leaps certain actors take, like Austin Butler going from the Carrie Diaries to Elvis. That's like quite a transformation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's definitely a thing that happened. <laughs> Obviously, not straight away, you know, I'm collapsing. No, I remember years watching time, the but... Carrie Diaries when that came out. Yeah, I hadn't thought yeah. about that. Yeah, no, it's quite an impressive career progression. Um, yeah, then the next film I'd like to recommend is called Braid, um, or as I knew it when I watched it, Nobody Leaves, which is an alternate title. And that film's directed by Mitzi Peroni. Um, it's a great name. Um, and Braid is is very hard to define. It's kind of like a horror movie, but it's very much like in your head. You know, it's more of a psychological horror rather than like a bloody gory, gory horror film, though there is some gore. And yeah, it's about two young women who are thieves, essentially, and con artists. And they lose a bunch of money that they have saved up and they need to get more immediately to pay back someone who they owe money to. And there's this girl they know from their childhood who like, is very wealthy and she lives alone in this big mansion. Um, but she's also like, got this mental instability from this childhood trauma where she's kind of still playing an elaborate game of make-believe that all three of them used to play when they were children. And so these other two girls, the con artists, they want to rob her. But in order to rob her, they have to fall back into the game they used to play together as children. And, you know, start, like, assuming these roles, you know, as these make-believe characters to, like, win her over, kind of. It's very strange and very surreal. And there's lots of collapsing of what's real and what's in the imagination. Um, But I found it really fascinating and interesting. It's... Yeah, like it's not completely successful, you know, I wouldn't say it's a masterpiece or anything, but it's one of the most interesting and original horror movies I've seen in a long time. So, yeah, if people want something a bit more eccentric um, to watch, I recommend it. I'm going to add this to my list. It looks like my kind of thing. Oh, nice. Please (laughs) let me know what you think. I literally don't know anyone else who's seen it. (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to know if it's um, up your alley, so to speak. Yeah, it looks like it, but I'll, yeah. I'll let you know if I can find it. Um, yeah, and then what's your final pick, Kirsty? It's a book, and um, I didn't realise until after I'd read it, but it fits well with August because it's apparently Women in Translation Month, and Synergy. the book I read <laughs> was Woman Running in the Mountains by Yuko Tsushima, uh, translated by Geraldine Harcourt. And um, Yuko Tsushima is um, an incredibly famous prolific writer in japan um or was and um i don't think this is one of her like most well-known books but i'd seen a lot of people discussing it um in various places and i just picked it up and i'm really glad i did um it's about a young woman i think she's around 20 years old and she suddenly finds herself pregnant um through a very brief affair with a man who's since moved away and she decides to keep the baby and it kind of tracks her time as she goes through her pregnancy and she's trying to find work support herself and leave her abusive family um the house behind um and i know that all sounds very heavy but it's very well written and um i've just come to you know perhaps for obvious reasons kind of appreciate stories that delve into like the complexities and the contradictions and struggles of of parenthood recently 
Yeah. Um, and I think this did that really well. Yeah, no, it sounds think, really interesting. I think this writer, and I'm going to read more of her stuff now, I think she's known for kind of auto-fiction, like that's heavily influenced by her own life experiences. Right. So maybe that's why it has such a strong, naturalistic and honest feel. Yeah, that sounds super interesting. It's like, I love Japan, um, but I really haven't read much Japanese literature beyond Haruki Murakami, who's like the obvious <laughs> Japanese mm. author to read. And I love his stuff, you know, but I'd like to branch out. So yeah, I'll definitely add that to my list. Cool. That's um, all I have. What about you? Yeah, so one more proper one, and then just like a quick shout out for reasons that will become clear. Um, so yeah, the like final proper wreck for me is a film called The Man Who Haunted Himself, which is a great title. I love that title. Yeah, so The Man Who Haunted Himself, it stars Roger Moore, who I'm that like sad person where like Roger Moore is probably my nostalgia favorite Bond because like I grew up with his Bond movies. I'm not that old, guys, but you know they were the ones that were on repeat in my house when I was growing up. Um, so yeah, I love Roger Moore. And this is actually really interesting because I, I'm sure I have seen him in films and not James Bond films, but I couldn't name them. And like this is the first proper performance I feel like I've seen from him where he's not playing Bond. And he's really good. So basically the plot is there's like this very repressed, staid British businessman. And it, the film starts with him like driving along the motorway and he's like driving in this like really frenzied wild fashion and you're like what the hell is going on mm. and there's this big dramatic crash and when he's in hospital you see there's like the heart rate monitor and suddenly two heartbeat heart rates <gasps> appear on the monitor it's doctor who it, exactly it is a bit like a doctor who episode to be honest um and as it goes on he starts hearing from other people who've had experiences with him where he definitely wasn't there for whatever reason. Oh my God. And he starts to realise there's a double of him going around, leading his life and interacting with all the people he's close to. Wow. So there's two men existing at the same time. And thus one of them is haunting the other. So he's haunting himself. Um, if so you it's kind of like Jekyll and Hyde. Yes, exactly. It's very much a Jekyll and Hyde story. I think it's based on a short story from the 50s. And yeah, it's interesting because I feel like it has a lot to say about, you know, like repression and especially that like stiff upper lip Britishness, you know, because the double is doing all these like wild, anarchic, risky things that the real man, he's way too conservative to do any of them. So it's kind of like a horror show, you know, when you're that type of person and there's a guy gallivanting around as you do it, making all the risky choices you would never make. Um, so yeah it's just an interesting contrast um, it's a complete sausage fest unfortunately I think the only female characters are the wife and the mistress um, but yeah I could go for that it's a good film in, in its own right you know it's a bit um, what's the word I'm looking for a bit corny and very very much of its time if you will but yeah I had fun with it it's good awesome yeah that yeah. sounds great too nice um, and yeah, then very quickly, um, very sadly, um, about a week ago now, I think, Olivia Newton-John passed away. So I do just want to give Xanadu a quick shout out because Xanadu was one of my absolute favourite movies as a kid. And so much of that is because of Olivia in that film. She's just so joyful and wonderful and the singing is just so gorgeous. And 
yeah, just brought me a lot of joy as a kid. So yeah, I love Olivia Newton-John and was very sad to see that news. Me too. That was pretty gutting, wasn't it? Yeah. It was felt like a big blow, you know, like David Bowie level almost. So yeah, it was sad. Especially it feels like too young now, you know, by modern standards to die in your early 70s. That feels especially sad. Um, but yeah, no, at least she's left such like a nice positive legacy behind her. So yeah, definitely brought a lot of people joy. Yeah, she'd, she'd been battling breast cancer for a long time. Like she yeah. was an amazing survivor icon. Exactly. Yeah. Like it feels like a horrible cliche, right? But she was genuinely inspirational. So yeah, I hope she knows how much she touched people's lives. Um, okay. So I think we're about half an hour in now. That went on for a while, but we have had a lot to catch up on, right? It's been a long time. Since it's we did been this. really hard not to go back from like months ago talking about films that, you know, we really loved. Yes. And maybe we will bring them up another time. I know there's some overlap as well, but yeah, God, it was hard. I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on the last, more recent stuff, because yeah. otherwise it's just too much. But <laughs> Exactly, because, yeah, like, didn't Obi-Wan start back in May? So yeah. It's been a really long time since we've done this, so, yeah, I'll include in the notes where people can skip to, right, if they want to get straight to the Star Wars stuff, because I understand not everyone will want to listen to us talk about non-Star Wars things. Um, but, yeah, if you did listen, I hope you find this part interesting, <laughs> so... Yeah, and try and check out some of these movies and books. We hope you like them. Uh, okay, so in the next segment, it's kind of going to be a bit of a jumble of like news and anticipation for things and discussion of books we've read. So it's going to be a bit more jumbly than it usually would be. But that's because we're not going to do like any proper spotlight sections this episode. Um, mainly just because like we have both read Brotherhood, for example, but we don't have like a big analysis of it to share. So we're going to share like high level thoughts, but not go into a lot of depth, for example. So yeah, just to set expectations. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, the first thing to mention is we now have a full release schedule for Andor and they've changed it. So initially it was going to launch in August at the very end of the month, I believe. And now we get the first three episodes on September 21st, which I'm really glad about. <laughs> I think three episodes at once sounds like a lot. It does sound like a lot. I've heard rumours that like the episodes are between 30 and 40 minutes each. So it sounds like when you add those first three together, you basically get a movie. Wow. You know, it's going to be about two hours. I wonder if it's going to feel that way. Like maybe it's like an intro movie and then it's kind of more episodic after that. I feel like they'd be wise to do that, to be honest, because I know there's a lot of fondness for Rogue One, and I do like that movie, but I feel like, you know, a lot of people probably don't have the best memory of, like, the Andor character in particular, so I feel like it's in their interests to have, like, a really strong, cohesive story to open the whole thing up, where it's, like, a big reminder of the fact that, yep, this is the guy we're following, this is why you care about him, this is why you Mm. want to watch this thing. So, yeah, I hope that's the sort of approach they're taking. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by the trailers and other stuff that they're showing. Yeah. This wasn't on my list. Like, you know, when they had that huge announcement a couple of years ago and they just told us all the stuff that they were working on? <laughs> yes. There was so much stuff that it was hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what you were most excited about. And But this wasn't one for me. Even yeah. though I love Diego Luna, um, I just... You know, I think after Rogue One especially, I was like, well, we kind of know how things end for these characters. Yeah. Um, 
but if they're going so far into the past with, and, and obviously like there's this real sense in that movie that this guy has a really interesting history with you know how he ended up becoming part of the rebellion's cause um i, I think they can you know pull off a compelling series here if, if it remains to be seen but we'll do it you know we'll see what happens yeah exactly and it's nice to watch that trailer and I feel reluctant to say it looks grown up, but it kind of does look more grown up, you know, than the other TV shows we've had recently from Star Wars, which I like. I think very early on they were talking about stuff like, um, you know, bringing in the people who'd worked on The Americans, which is one of my favourite shows ever, um, to give it this real, like, political, intriguing, thriller kind of gravitas. And the cast that they've managed to get for it looks incredible. And the score sounds amazing if it's more of what we've heard from the trailer. Um, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, it all seems very promising right now. Um, and yeah, I'm also happy that there's so many episodes, which I, I know that feels like a slightly odd thing to say, but like, was Obi-Wan like six or eight episodes, something like that? Mm. And I felt like it even needed to be longer to give more substance to the story it was telling or shorter and just make it a bloody movie, right? It felt like in a weird no man's land in terms of how long it lasted. Um, Whereas this one has 12 episodes. So that is a lot of time, you know, to actually craft real character arcs, you know, and tell more detail-oriented stories. And we know more is coming as well, don't we? Yeah, exactly. There's going to be another season. I think they've said there's going to be two seasons and the next season will will lead directly into Rogue One. Mm. So then that essentially means no season three, right? <laughs> but in a way, that's good, though, because I think, you know, things just going on and on and on, they can really run out of steam in a bad way. So, yeah, I'm kind of glad they've given themselves a, a yeah. time limit. Yeah, hopefully that means that it's all paced really well and has, like, a specific arc for the character and then like, it flows really well into Rogue One. It's kind of nice that they have Gilroy back for it all. Exactly, yeah. No, so that's all quite encouraging. Um and an interesting thing that's come out is that there is a user on a forum, the name of which I cannot remember right now. So apologies this about that. This sounds so shady. <laughs> I know, it sounds really shady. But apparently this person has history in terms of they've posted thoughts on other shows um, before. And that those posts have made it clear that this person had actually seen those episodes ahead of time, right? So it seems like they're a reliable person. Um, and yeah, could you maybe just read out the quote I've highlighted where the person's given their thoughts on, on the first four episodes of Andor? So it would just give us something a bit more concrete to discuss. I've seen the first four and it's the most serious, grounded thing Star Wars has ever done. It feels more like an English-made espionage thriller than Star Wars. It's totally unconcerned with giving you fan service moments and instead wants to delve into what it's like for the bit players in this universe to wake up every morning and go about their day. This is not space opera. It's more space drama. It's slow, deliberate, complex for Star Wars and asks the viewer to do some work. It actually humanises roles that are traditionally cartoon evil in the Star Wars universe. It's attempting to tell a grown-up story and I think a lot of fans are going to hate it. Both Gilroy's presence is all over this thing. It's got that cinema verite vibe that the core Bourne movies had going for them. Puts you in this world like never before. Whether the world can hold up to that level of scrutiny is up for debate, but it is fascinating. Yep. 
No, and I just wanted to acknowledge that this quote is coming via Best Bin Bulletin. So that's who I source this from. I think the actual forum is called Reset Era or something like that. Hmm. And I do not know what that forum's about, but I'm happy it exists because it gives us something to talk about. Um, so yeah, this sounds really promising to me. You know, I like the fact that it sounds a little bit daring, like it might piss some people off. I think that's good. You know, I like art to be saying something and to be making bold decisions. So, yeah, this definitely dials up my excitement for Andor. Like, what do yeah. you think about these comments, Kirsty? I hope that I can trust them when they're talking about how it's not concerned with Star Wars as this big property mm. and, and having that, you know, reverence for references and all sorts of you know easter egg type things because i think there's been a bit too much of that in the past yes and that it's just telling a story that sounds like very thrilling um with these characters and it just happens to be set in the star wars galaxy you know yeah that, that i feel like good. that's something we haven't really had before from the star wars shows so i i like the mandalorian but that's a very archetypal story right it's not like deep character drama and I don't think anyone making it would claim it is right is not trying to be that um and Obi-Wan I think it, that had some strong like introspection and character focused moments but at the same time it was obvious throughout the whole thing that they were so penned in by pre-existing story beats you know in terms of where Obi-Wan is at certain points and where Darth Vader has to be in, at certain points in the story that they were just really like put in the small box and it just left it feeling a bit awkward by the end. Whereas this, it's dealing with a lot of new characters we've never seen before, where they can tell like any stories they want about these people. And that's quite exciting to me. You know, the sense is like wide open and yeah, they can make them actual people for a change rather than like caricatures or stereotypes. Yeah, and I believe Tony Gilroy when he sounds quite dismissive of Star Wars and that he doesn't care about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know it bothers some people and maybe he's like having it up at this point a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I like where it's coming from because it's like, well, why wouldn't that guy be able to make a compelling Star Wars series? You know? Yes, exactly. Yeah, like I actually get a little buzz every time I see him like complaining about like fan service and stuff. Which I know feels mean, and I don't think all fan service is bad by any means, but yeah, I think we've just seen so much of it, I'm champing at the bit for something different, so yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, I mean, I assume that he still had to work with like members of the story group and stuff to make sure he's not stepping on too many toes, but yes, that will come as secondary, hopefully. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then we they just gave a bit more of their specific thoughts on some of the characters, could you read out the rest of the quote I've highlighted, Kirsty? Of the first four episodes, Luthen and Mon Mothma are definitely the rebel MVPs. Andor is probably the least interesting character, but then they've got a long way to go to get him to the man we meet in Rogue One. There is much more interesting characterization going on on the Imperial side of things, and let me tell you, it's fascinating to me. I kind of wish we got a whole show about that. Yeah. Or maybe we will. That's Stellan Skarsgård's character, right, Luthen? Yes, that's right. He looks great from the trailer. Yeah, no, I thought that. And yeah, I just love the thought of getting more meaty stuff about the political side of Star Wars again. Because, you know, so much of the prequels was given over to that. And I know there was a lot of stuff about the political landscape in the Clone Wars too, which I still need to properly watch. So yeah, I'm really excited to see those storylines get more exposure. Because yeah, I like the whole 
political thriller aspect of, you know, everyone probably suspects that Mon Mothma does not feel kindly towards Emperor Palpatine and what he's done, you know, but obviously she's trying to keep sweet to an extent because she still wants to have some sort of influence, right, and have a say, as much as anyone can have a say in that sort of structure. And, yeah, just the tension there and the incredible risk you're taking by not immediately going into hiding, I find that quite fascinating just as a starting point for a character. Mm. So, yeah, I'm particularly excited to see Mon Mothma in this. The stuff about Cassian being the least interesting character <laughs> as well. I, I know this is just about the first four episodes. Sure. So presumably he goes on a, an arc over the series and becomes, you know, takes more centre stage. But I just yeah. think it's funny that they keep naming these series after the principal character, but then... You know, do they know that you don't have to do that? <laughs> yeah, it maybe is this is the easy way to title something. Yeah, I guess maybe they just thought Mon Mothma would be a bit of an awkward name. <laughs> like, oh, Andor has a nice amount of syllables or something. Cassian would have sounded better, in my opinion. Yeah, but, this is true. Yeah. But I believe in the power of Diego Luna. I think he'll become much more interesting yeah. than yeah, this person thinks at the moment. I'm curious to see him play super young as well. So I don't know how hard and fast they're going to be in terms of canon. But I think canonically, like Cassian was like in his mid-twenties, you know, when he died. Mm. So, and like Diego Luna is about 40 now, you know. Um, so yeah, he would probably be playing late teens or early twenties in this, which is quite a leap, you know, to be playing 20 years younger than your actual age. So I'm curious to see if they actually acknowledge how young he is. Um but yeah, we're about to find out. It's going to start pretty soon. So yeah, I'm stoked. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. So then the next thing I'd like us to discuss is Light and Magic, which is a documentary about ILM that has recently been released on Disney+. Plus. Um, I don't think you've had a chance to watch this yet, have you, Kirsty? No. I plan to, obviously. Yeah. No, for sure. And it's really, really good. It's honestly one of the best Star Wars related things I think they've ever put out on Disney+. Plus. It might even be my favourite, but that feels like... No, actually Visions is still my favourite. Hang on. <laughs> Sorry, I was getting ahead of myself then. Yeah, no, so Visions is still the best Star Wars thing Disney Plus has released. But this is probably my second favourite. I really, really liked Light and Magic. And I think the greatest thing about it is it is obviously heavily Star Wars centric, especially in the early episodes. So like the first two episodes are about the making of the original Star Wars. And then the third episode is heavily about Empire Strikes Back. But then the last three episodes, they become much broader. So they're more about the bigger technological innovations that ILM was working with. Because obviously when they made the original Star Wars, it was a lot to do with like puppets and models and that sort of thing. Um, whereas in the 80s they started really innovating and experimenting with computers and CGI and yeah they really track that through the journeys of individuals so there's lots of talking head interviews and they do a really good job at crafting a narrative using those people's stories because you know by the end you obviously have people who were working on the original Star Wars feeling like a bit redundant a bit left over because they've suddenly been hit by this realization around the time Jurassic Park was made that they're obsolete you know that their skills just aren't needed in the way they once were and it gets quite honest about that so yeah it surprised me by how candid it was 
and yeah overall just really impressed I find it fascinating as someone not who just loves stars you know but who loves a lot of the kind of movies ILM has been involved with um so yeah if you like love any big movies from like the 70s 80s or 90s you need to watch this documentary because it gives so much insight into the sort of process behind making those effects happen and making these incredible things real on screen so yeah i strongly strongly recommend it cool i'm excited nice it came out when i was traveling and just uh, didn't have any time and then you know when like you can't watch something as soon as it's available so it kind of goes into the pile of things that you have to get to at some point yeah no no i totally get that i think that happened with like was it star wars biomes that came out oh those are lovely you should watch those are just like things that you can have on in the background as you're doing something else yeah no exactly and i really need to do that when i'm like doing the dishes or something because i remember you strongly recommending them to me when they first came (laughs) out and it's just that whole thing you know i remember it but it's gone in my like mental pile now so it feels like a long time ago honestly i don't even think you can count it as watching they're basically (laughs) star wars screensavers okay nice (laughs) in a good way yeah yeah no no you're speaking about it in very positive terms so yeah i realize you did not mean to denigrate um but yeah and also one thing i'd say is i know a lot of our listeners are sequel trilogy fans so i'll just warn people there's no sequel trilogy content in this series and that's for a very good reason because after they've dealt with the original star wars trilogy they really just start focusing on big technological leaps so you know they talk about the prequels in terms of the advances that they represented um in terms of what could be done with cgi and then like the next thing they talk about is mandalorian essentially you know and what they've done with the oh my god what's it called kirsty the um technology the volume that thank you the volume <laughs> yeah and then they jump forward like 20 years to talk about the volume in the mandalorian right so yeah there's lots of stuff that's brushed over but it makes sense in the context of the documentary and what it's trying to achieve mm. i will have a warn people that jj is one of the talking heads but, so yeah be prepared just in case the mere sight of him will make your blood boil what does he have to say <laughs> um you know it's just very generic stuff about how he grew up watching the films ilm worked on and how they were such a huge inspiration mm. so he's not talking about his own star wars films really so yeah hopefully next time we speak Kirsty will have had a chance to see it too but no pressure i know there's a million things to watch and there's a lot of documentary um yeah so the next thing you want to talk about is the lego star wars summer vacation special so yeah do you want to sum up your thoughts about this one Kirsty? i enjoyed it um i was really happy to see that finn was the main character this time yeah i've been waiting for that yeah, so they've like taken turns, haven't they? The first yeah. one was Ray, then it was Poe, and then this one's Finn. Yeah, so that was yeah. nice. And I really loved his like interactions with like Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this was, might be my least favorite of the series, but it might just be because they used all the good jokes first. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, no, no, that's fair. So obviously, the premise, like with the previous ones, is that the sequel trilogy character, in this case, Finn like gets in contact with like characters from like earlier times who are mostly deceased and they talk to him in like ghost form you know and tell him stories about um previous holidays that people had but they're kind of also like coaching him through moving on right because it's yes. all about like this is our last vacation before we go our separate ways um because obviously the resistance of one 
Yeah. You know, exactly. Uh, so there's like a lesson in each story essentially for him to take away. Yeah. And like of those three stories, like how would you rank them? Um well I think I liked the the Ben Solo one with Hannah Leia most because for sure. oh, I love seeing those characters together and it was very sweet to get kind of young Ben with his parents as he's being dropped off to Luke, yeah. you know? No, definitely. I think that's the story that absolutely had the most substance to it. Not biased at all. But yeah, there was some like emotional punch in there in terms of yeah, like learning to trust your kid as well. So there's like a whole storyline about Han not trusting Ben to fly the Falcon. And then he realizes, okay, actually, yeah, Ben can fly the Falcon and he can do it pretty well. So that was quite a, f- a sweet story, Fred. Yeah. Nice to see Ben Solo flying the Falcon. Yeah, exactly. Lego is just the best at giving us Ben Solo fan service. It's fantastic. They know what the people want. Um, And I, I loved seeing Obi-Wan doing karaoke. <laughs> yes, thank you. That might have been my you. favorite part of the whole thing, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was like the best individual scene. I think the whole Ben Solo storyline, that was the best story. But best single scene, the Obi-Wan karaoke has to win. Like honestly, for days afterwards, I had Gamorrean girls in my head. (laughs) 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 We just like spontaneously start humming it. It's like Gamorrean girls and Gamorrean guys. (laughs) Very good. Thank you. You see, I'm performing karaoke based on Obi-Wan's karaoke, so that's the impact. But yeah, it was just really delightful and funny, so I loved that. It put a big smile on my face. (laughs) Sorry, just laughing, remembering it. It's just so stupid. (laughs) I think it's just like the way Obi-Wan talks as well, like put that into singing. It's like, yeah, that's perfect. And like I just love him like calling all the various aliens onto the dance floor. Like, <laughs> and they just do like these stupid spins and they're all blinked up. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, I, I want to rewatch that scene now. Um, yeah. So it really like fun, enjoyable, you know, you, you can't go wrong with these things. They're just they put a smile on your face, right? So yeah, if you have a spare hour, I think it's even less than that, it's like forty minutes. Just check it out. It's fun. It's life affirming. So I'm making big promises. <laughs> it's life affirming. No, that whole series is so sweet. Like, it obviously, is. it's very silly, but that's part of the point. Yes. And yeah, I, I thought the first one especially was like very healing as a, a burn sequel trilogy fan. For sure. Although, actually, I've just realized another thing I wanted to mention about this was there is an interesting like tinge of melancholy to the whole thing. You mentioned earlier, Kirsty, about the whole idea being they're about to go on their separate ways. And I did really feel by the end that this felt like a goodbye to this whole series of Lego films, which makes sense, you know, like trilogies, Star Wars loves its trilogies, right? Um, but yeah, that made me a bit melancholy too. It's just like, oh, I hope you get other stuff of sequel trilogy characters before too long. So like, this has been the only media we've got with those characters since the sequel trilogy proper ended so yeah i just hope we get more i don't know when i'm sure we Mm, will one day yeah that's a good point actually i wonder what will be next for lego yeah exactly and even just like in general star wars storytelling to be honest like so yeah we'll see um okay yeah so then the next thing to talk about is that we have both read brotherhood by mike chen yeah and then i read the book and you listened to the audiobook right kirsty so yeah how was the performance of the audiobook it was honestly fine i don't feel like i can contribute too much to this discussion because like people who've listened to the show for a while 
have probably heard me complain about this before. And I have got better with audiobooks in general. I listen to quite a lot of them now. But every so often, and this is what happened here, I'll listen to one, and obviously it goes on for hours and hours and hours. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just kind of going over my head. It's like Mm. in one ear and out the other. And I get to the end and I'm like, I barely remember what just happened. Yeah. And unfortunately, this was one of those. And I, I know it's me because I've seen really strong reviews for this story. Yeah. So I don't just I don't feel qualified to really have an opinion on it. Oh. I liked the Padme and Anakin stuff. That stuff I can remember. Yes. Yeah, no, I really liked how the book started. Because yeah, it basically pick this story, it picks up immediately after Attack of the Clones finishes. So you really do have that very early honeymoon phase with Anakin and Padme where, you know, they just want to spend all the time together that they can, which isn't very much because they both have these other responsibilities. Um, But yeah, that is, you know, like a really nice description of them going into the underworld of Coruscant, basically, where they won't be recognised so they can spend some time together. So that was really sweet. Yeah. But yeah, I think the main thrust of this is there's basically a a terrorist attack on Kato Namidia, and Obi-Wan goes as an ambassador of the Republic to try and get to the bottom of what happened because there's lots of rumours on Cato and Namidia that the Republic was behind the bombing. And because this is literally just at the outbreak of the Clone Wars, the Republic is keen to get the planet on side. So it doesn't want them to go over towards the Trade Federation. It wants to win their allegiance for the Republic. So Obi-Wan goes to investigate and... Yeah, he uncovers a plot, as of course he would, and Asajj Ventress is involved. So it was nice to see her too. I liked seeing how she was incorporated into the story. And yeah, I thought this one was really good. It it felt very much like you could really tell Mike Chen has read and really loves the Revenge of the Sith novelization, because there were lots of aspects of that book that were picked up here. You know, there's like the sun dragon. That oh yeah, that was fe- nice. Yeah, that features heavily in the novelization and it features heavily here. And I thought the novel also did a really good job of comparing and contrasting Obi-Wan and Anakin and how even though they have this brotherly relationship, they are also fundamentally different people in approach, like in almost every way, you know. So it's one of those stories about a friendship where it makes you realise that it's kind of a miracle that these people have a friendship at all because they're so different. <laughs> and really they should be clashing like all the time but they actually find a way of working together well and complementing one another so yeah I did like that I think you mentioned to me Kirsty that you were a bit disappointed that for a lot of this book Anakin and Obi-Wan are separate right given the promise of the title and the cover well I, I think I just went in with a certain expectation but I don't I, you know it's not that I don't think it works for the story that they're they're going for because yeah you know, obviously that they are separated for huge amounts of time and that kind of plays into their kind of miscommunications and misunderstandings. So. Yeah, exactly. He might not have become Vader if they'd had more contact with each other. Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so I enjoyed this one. I would definitely recommend it. I think it's one of the better Star Wars novels I've read recently. I have also read um, The Princess and the Scoundrel, but I'm going to shut up about that. Um, because I know Kirsty wants to read it and hopefully we'll be able to have a proper discussion about that together eventually. Yes, hopefully. I'm, I'm hoping to get it very soon. Nice. Yeah, so I feel like 
I didn't like it as much as Brotherhood. I did like it, but I feel like I almost have more to say about it because obviously we had recent history with reading The Courtship of Princess Leia. And it's kind of interesting to think about those books side by side and think about how, you know, they're set at the same time. So they're both about the wedding of these characters and, you know, that love story. But they just take such fundamentally different approaches to it. It tells you a lot about where Star Wars books were in the early 1990s mm. versus where they are in the early 2020s. Very different, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I have more insightful things to say. Because with this one, it's kind of like, I enjoyed it, it was good, but I don't have particularly deep insights to provide. Um, but yeah, especially if you love Anakin and Obi-Wan and their dynamic, I think you should definitely check out Brotherhood because it does a really good job of filling in that short window of time in between Attack of the Clones and where the Clone Wars starts. Sorry, I don't have more to add there. <laughs> no, no, it's fine, don't worry. It's just disappointing because like, I was looking forward to it. Maybe I just need to try reading a, it as a book. Yeah, you could try, but don't feel pressured. You know, it's obviously time is precious, right? And I'm sure you've got a million books to read. So yeah, like, don't feel bad for not liking it. It's not even that. It's just like it had no impact on me and like... I don't really understand why, because yeah. other people are like, wow, this was so good. Yeah, but It's been then, left out. Yeah, no, I know you mean that, you know what fandoms are like, though, there's always hyperbole. You know, so I think I gave it four stars, like, and I, I did really like it, but, you know, at the same time, it's not a book I'm going to reread, it's not like a masterpiece, you know, so, yeah, just don't, don't beat yourself up for not, like, feeling really strongly about it. Okay. Um... Okay, a big piece of casting news that came out while we were on summer break is that Amanda Stenberg has officially been confirmed to be the lead of The Acolyte. And this is a piece of news that was rumoured, I think, towards the end of last year. Yeah, we have talked about it before, right? Yeah, exactly. This isn't our first rodeo, if you will. Um, Yeah, so we've kind of briefly discussed it before, but it's now confirmed. And Amandla shared, you know, a picture of themselves when they were younger with R2-D2 on Instagram. So they're clearly a big fan, right? So it looks like a dream job for her. So I'm really glad she got it. Yeah, that would be an incredible rush, wouldn't it? To be like, yeah, I'm in Star Wars. Yes, (laughs) exactly. So, yeah, I'm really happy that she's getting to live her dreams, basically. And... Just on another level, I'm also happy with this news because there was like a long period of nothing from Acolyte. And because so many Star Wars projects have fallen by the wayside, I'm always nervous. But this it seem, makes it seem like it really is happening. So yeah, that was a big relief. Yeah, I know what you mean, given the, the history of Star Wars development. Exactly. <laughs> I'm saying I've got trust issues, basically. <laughs> I think we can issues. say, yeah, this project is happening for sure. So that's that's nice to know because it is the one that we've been most excited for. Exactly. So, yeah, I feel like I'm only setting myself up for disappointment by bigging it up so much in my head. Um, because, you know, like if it's like this is going to be the best Star Wars project ever, like it can only disappoint from there. But I'm just trying to be moderate, but still anticipatory, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I'm glad the show is happening. I'm glad Amanda got this opportunity. And yeah, really curious to see what comes of it. And 
I'll feel completely secure and happy and my trust issues will be resolved when I see like it's filming now so yeah hopefully soon yeah um did you say maybe this fall that they would start filming yes I think I've heard reports of October or November Mm. yeah yeah that would get exciting that'll feel really real exactly so yeah even though this is weird the summer is almost over and autumn is nearly (laughs) upon us so yeah it's gonna be here before we know it essentially i'm getting excited for mando season three as well to be honest oh nice yeah like honestly i keep on forgetting that's coming up so i feel like (laughs) uh, that sounds bad but it's honestly because they keep the production so under wraps you know occasionally there'll be an actor talking about it but there's no like official stuff to say we have now started filming season three right so i think there was a trailer at celebration but uh, not like made public so i'm sure there are like bootleg copies floating around but i haven't sought them out it's kind of nice just not really knowing anything but just kind of yeah theorizing based on what we've got and what what was there in the book of boba fett and hopefully they go deeper with din's kind of conflict there about his identity as a mandalorian yeah no exactly i feel like the way they ended mandalorian season two they definitely set up lots of juicy threads to pick up on and I guess obviously some of those threads were really picked up on in Book of Boba Fett, but yeah, that created new threads. <laughs> so we'll see what we see when we get to season three of The Mandalorian. So yeah, yeah. maybe the- Boba will show up there. Who knows? <laughs> I'd, I'd actually love They'll that. They'll have a, a Boba exclusive episode. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's kind of like the inverse of what they did with Book of Boba Fett, where everyone's like really into it, really hyped for Mandalorian. And then just in the middle of this new season of The Mandalorian, they have two really me- mediocre episodes about Boba Fett. <laughs> if they get mean. Ming-Na Wen back and give her a real starring role, I will not be complaining. <laughs> yeah, no, then it won't be mediocre because a big part of the problem with Book of Boba Fett was the fact that they just shamelessly sidelined um, Ming-Na Wen, which was disgraceful. they feel that way, though. Did you ever watch like the, the documentary that came out after it? I think I saw clips and weren't they like going on about like how pleased with themselves they were. Yeah, they were happy with what they did with with uh, Fennec. So it makes no sense. Good for them. (laughs) Yeah, and then just a quick fun thing to round off this segment, and that is that Oscar Isaac has apparently changed his tune on returning to Star Wars, and this is via Digital Spy. Could you read out the comments he was saying, Kirsty? I don't know. I'm open to anything. You never know, he explained in a serious XM interview. I have no real feeling one way or another. I'm open to any good story. Time is the one thing that becomes challenging as you get older and kids and all that. Where do movies fit in? If there was a great story and a great director and Kathleen Kennedy came to me and was like, I have this great idea, then I'm so open to it. And didn't you say you actually listened to the recording of this interview, Kirsty? And he actually had a certain like flat quality to his voice, so to speak. I was listening to Blue Harvest and they played it. Ah, so okay. that's how I didn't seek it out myself. But right, right. Um, Hawes said this and I, I felt the same way. I was like, that doesn't seem as enthusiastic as the way people were talking about it on Twitter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so must- yeah, he'll come back. I was like, kind of sounds like he'd be like, yeah, sure. Why not? But <laughs> not enthusiastic. Like sure. just, you know, if someone and they must get asked this question constantly right like would you go back to this big franchise especially because a lot of people don't think that it ended particularly well it's like would you go back and like do more after that and 
they're not gonna like unless they had a truly terrible experience and i know that right after a lot of them were saying now nah, i'm done you know but they're gonna be like maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's not it's not a commitment one way or the other yeah no this is interesting so i haven't actually heard the interview myself i've just seen like a deluge of you know like clickbaity articles about well, that's what, Isaac that's what it's for that's why they ask yeah yeah exactly they know they're going to get the headlines and they're going to get the clicks right um but yeah no it just struck me because i think oscar gave interviews around the time of tross where he was very blunt and basically said words to the effect of i'll do it if i need a new house which could very well still be the exact truth but he's now been a little bit more diplomatic with how he phrases things um but yeah it seemed like a shift in tone but maybe not so much if he's been a bit more like ah you know i'll do it if the right script and stuff came along so i think yeah kirsty and i were talking about this and that seems to be like a pretty standard line that actors will trot out when they're asked about these big franchise roles that they do that they do yeah i mean that just seems to be the safe thing to say right like like anything well if it was a great script then sure why not but the the great script has to exist first so that's exactly. a big if yeah Martin um, Scorsese directs Star Wars episode 10 then he'll be on board <laughs> so it's not a no so that's nice yeah you know, exactly but... lets me keep up some of I my do think they'll all be brain. back at some point I mean they got the original trio back but it could be decades from now <laughs> I'm not counting on anything in the immediate future that's for sure Okay, so to round off this episode and to celebrate our return to the podcasting scene, if you will, um, I was thinking we could do something a little bit different and actually have a return to the spoiler section. How do you feel about doing this, Kirsty? This would be for Acolyte. It's because we've got some general spoilers about the premise of the show and who some of the characters are. So yeah, do you want to do a spoiler section, Kirsty? Sure. I mean, I... I know you've like explained this to me briefly, but I I don't feel like I'm super familiar with what you've got here. So Okay. Nice. So maybe I can wow you just through reading <laughs> off some lines or getting you to we- read them as is usually the case. <laughs> and is this going to be super spoilery or is it just kind of like here's the premise of the show? Cuz remember, we accidentally spoiled for people that baby Yoda was going to be in the first episode of The Mandalorian. Yes, this is true. Um I'd say it feels like broad stroke stuff, like where you'd probably get a lot of this in the marketing for when the show is actually made and released. Um, But at the same time, it's very difficult to tell based on random sketchy details when we've got no idea what's coming, right? So we might inadvertently be spoiling bigger things, but that's what the spoiler siren's for. shouldn't do it so yeah we are now officially in the spoiler zone so if you're still here and you do not want potential spoilers for the acolyte please turn back now i will prepare people that these rumors come from reddit so obviously they're not completely reliable right they might be nonsense well that's what we thought about the rise of sky exactly <laughs> very true things about star wars have come from reddit months of denial Exactly, and other people on the Star Wars Leaks subreddit seem to think these things are legit, right? So, you know, it's not completely coming out of someone's ass. Um, Okay, so the first thing this person shared was a bunch of names. 
So they said that Amanda Stenberg's character is going to be called Aura, which I think has been rumoured before. I don't think it's the first time we've heard that. But it says that these are code names. Ah, uh, yeah, it? that's a good point. So you see, Kirsty's already got better reading comprehension than me. <laughs> so yeah, these might not be actual Finnish names, but they're, I guess, yeah, like code names represent. That's like names. Kira for Ray. Yeah, right. exactly. So yeah, these might not end up being the actual names people use on screen. Um, then apparently there's a Sith Lord called Paul, which I don't count as a huge spoiler because the show's called Acolyte, right? So you know Acolyte it calls to the dark side we know like the Sith have apprentices so yeah like I don't think that's a huge spoiler that there's Sith but it is still a spoiler so yep that's a thing then apparently Aura has a grandfather who's codenamed Theo um, and will only be in a few episodes at the beginning um, and Aura also has a little sister called Miri and then she has a best friend called Pen. And that will be a male CGI alien, which will be interesting. So I don't think we've seen like a fully integrated humanoid alien character as like a main cast member. So that feels like quite a bold decision if that is actually true. Mm. So there's some juicy stuff there. Um, yeah, then do you want to read out the section called plot details, Kirsty? It might be mm. not written in the best way, so... Apologies if it's hard to say. Aura's village is attacked by raiders regularly, like 47 Ronin, except the attackers are primitive, tribal, not totally sentient, alien. Jedi come and protect them in exchange for taking a few kids to train. Aura is too old, but her sister is taken away. This eventually convinces her to join the Acolytes. At the end of episode 2, the raiders destroy the town and the Jedi come too late. Theo dies. Aura wants to be taken to her sister, but the Jedi don't let her. Yeah, so I think that's the main thing that caught my attention when I saw these spoilers. Because this person is essentially saying that what kickstarts the story is that Aura has a little sister who's taken to be trained by the Jedi. Um, and even though they're both Force-sensitive, only the younger child is taken because Aura is deemed to be too old. And I just thought that was such a fantastic premise because I've always had lots of thoughts about the whole Jedi thing and taking very, very young children away from their families as infants to train them in this what's basically a religion. And I always found that like wrong and icky and it just, it rubbed me the wrong way, let's put it that way. But obviously, you know, in the actual films and in most other Star Wars media, it's always framed as a good thing. You know, you never really get a sense of the dubious morality of that. Like, even when Shmi's giving up Anakin when he's a little boy in Phantom Menace, you sense that that's like a noble sacrifice. And I do think in the prequels, they play with the fact it messed him up, essentially being separated from his mum when he was little. But that's kind of like subtext. It's never the main message I think you're meant to take away. Whereas it feels like if this is true... I think the Acolyte is really going to dig deep into that and what it does to people, you know, and the damage it leaves behind when you break up families like that. So, yeah, that feels like a really interesting premise for a story to me. Mm. I feel like the Obi-Wan series touched on it a little bit when he was recalling his brother and his father. but Yeah, but just a little. And you could sense that he was very much at peace with it, you know, like it was a long time ago for him. Like, so there was, like, wistfulness, but it wasn't, like 
destroying him from the inside or anything, you know. So, yeah, it feels like it would definitely be like a main motive for Aura in this story because it sounds like she'd literally go off and find the Sith and start training in the dark side because of all this. So, mm. yeah. So what do you think about these sorts of plot details? Like, are they interesting to you or surprising at all? Obviously, I know it's hard to judge when it's so bare bones and quite abstract. They're not surprising because obviously, as you said, it kind of feeds into what Star Wars lore has already told us about what the Jedi do. And yeah. we've seen that play out in like various episodes of the Clone Wars and stuff. And But I'm I'm happy to see it being explored in this deeper, more emotional way. So... Yeah, and I think there's also been intimations from this person that there's kind of like a bit of a Hunger Games vibe where there's a class of acolytes. That's like, what I was going to say. And then I was like, is that just because it's a Mandela? I'm thinking that. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was a coincidence. If they're like, oh yeah, we have to get her from the Hunger Games. <laughs> Again, from other things this person has said, I get the vibe that maybe there's a bunch of would-be acolytes to this Sif in the story. And they all have to try and compete with each other until there's only one left who does actually become the apprentice to this Sith Lord. Um, and yeah, again, it sounds maybe a bit derivative of, you know, like Hunger Games and Battle Royale and stuff, but it's all about the execution and all about how they choose to tell that story. So yeah, like I think it sounds very different from the sorts of stories we've had on Disney Plus for Star Wars so far. And yeah, I'm interested in this. It sounds like there's a really firm emotional foundation to it. And again, I think having that distance from the films that we know, because I think Acolyte takes place about 100 years before The Phantom Menace, I think that's a huge boon because it means there's very little they can do to tie it directly into the films we know and the characters we know. You know, they might do something like Plagueis or whatever, like, who knows? But that would be so tenuous that it wouldn't bother me too much, you know? So, yeah, I like the fact they have a lot of freedom to tell whatever story they want to do, basically. Me too. It's nice that it, like, feeds into what we already know about the history, but hopefully will be its own story in its own right. Exactly. So, yeah, I have a lot of confidence in this show, and in terms of, like, the story beats and what this is all indicating... I don't know what I expected. I didn't expect this specifically, but I'm pleasantly surprised by some of the ideas I'm hearing. And I hope this is true. We'll find out soon enough. Mm. Uh, Anything else to add there, Kirsty, or should we wrap it up? I guess I'm wondering, like, thinking about our listeners, is this the show that other people are most excited for? Mm. Is it, you know, I'm, I'm sure lots of people are, but like, this is the one that we've been, like, confident in since it was first announced but is there something else that other people are more interested in yeah no i'd be interested to hear that i guess there's not too much else announced past because you know like we know that taika watiti is working on a star wars movie but we don't know anything about it yet or any of the movies after that beyond rogue squadron so i don't know how much more that hasn't come out that there is that we've like at least heard about recently like yeah there was the lando show but it's been crickets yeah so I think there's D23 in September and I know that there's going to be a Lucasfilm panel there and okay. I do feel like they're kind of like running out of stuff coming in the future, you know, beyond mm. like the next year or so. So I feel like there may be like another slate of announcements for things to come, which would be interesting. Right. Um, but at the same time, I hope they're careful and they don't overpromise. 
<laughs> you know, don't have it be like a Lando situation where it seems like it's lost in some no man's land. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Maybe there's so many things that they have to juggle during development and maybe things just don't, yeah, they don't pan out and then it's kind of awkward for them to have to clarify. But like, you know, Ryan Johnson's trilogy, whatever happened there? Yeah, exactly. It's on ice forever. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. Yeah. I I will still always burn a small candle for that. It's not a big candle anymore. It's a very small candle, just a flicker. But maybe it could happen eventually. Yeah, long time exactly. Yeah. And I will say that you know this thing of acolyte has been in development for years and years, and it's only just about to get off the ground and actually start filming. Mm. So I do think that in itself is a good reminder of the fact that you know we get these announcements, but it does in practice take a long time to actually get these things off the ground especially when they're juggling so many projects they announced so much that one day it was an avalanche it was kind of insane yeah (laughs) i remember that i can't remember if we did like an emergency podcast about it but i know we did like a very detailed like beat by beat breakdown about like what do we even make of this it's so much (laughs) and yeah i remember finding it overwhelming at the time and also hard to talk about because you know it's just titles and logos a lot of the time Mm. and yeah there's only so much you can say about a title and a logo right so yeah yeah also funny to think about the book of boba fett wasn't even announced there they announced that at the end of the credits for mando right yes so yeah, that wasn't even included in that. That, that was... was a fun little treat to <laughs> take us all by surprise. <laughs> Sorry, making it sound like a horrible thing. It wasn't that horrible. It was just... No, it was exciting to get something like that. It but... was, it was. Mm. I, I wish it had been better. But um, Oh yeah, yeah, I just mean like the surprise announcement. Oh, the surprise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and it was a good surprise. It was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I prefer they make announcements like that rather than like for the benefit of investors. You know, it's yes. more exciting for it to be part of the actual story. Yeah. Exactly. That was very much one for the fans, if you will. So, yeah, it was appreciated. Um, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, should we wrap it up there? I guess. This has been a kind of, yeah, piecemeal episode, hasn't it? Because we've become so long and there's been so much coming out. But... Exactly. It's been a bit of like a breathless catch up. But I, I'm glad we did this because I'm actually on holiday um, in Germany, of all places, um, at the end of August. Um, so there will be another little hiatus unfortunately after this because of that break um but it won't be as long as the one we've just had hopefully fingers crossed um and yeah we'll definitely be back in september i'm not sure if we'll do anything before Andor comes out i was thinking we could potentially rewatch rogue one i'd quite like to since it's been a long time since i saw it yeah they're showing it in cinemas here i don't know if i'm gonna make it yes i could watch it at home on disney plus yeah no exactly i feel have a horrible feeling they're gonna show it in cinemas here too but it's gonna be when i'm in germany so i'll probably miss out but yeah i can definitely watch at home so yeah we can we can do that we'll schedule a chat about rogue one at some point so yeah hopefully we'll do that as like a lead into andor and then we'll have andor to talk about which i'm looking forward to me too so that'll be fun and yeah this was really nice to do a podcast again Kirsty. so yeah thank you yeah so i'm rachel and you can find me on twitter at rachel1918 i'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on twitter at scavengers horde until next time bye bye